0: The number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. This podcast contains explicit language.
1: Hello and welcome to So That Happened, the HuffPost politics podcast about things that happened in politics. This week, we're between two giant hurricanes that are causing huge problems for texas and florida and uh i guess in in the meantime we've got amazing donald trump action my name is arthur delaney i'm joined in studio by our white house correspondent sv date hey arthur thanks so much for joining so uh donald trump art of the deal the entire reason for him to be president was that he would just make amazing deals happen left and right what deal did he do this week Yeah, well, he told everyone he was going to make deals, didn't he? That was the tremendous deals, just the best
2: deals ever. America would be great again after his deals. Well, a lot of people believe that. Apparently, a lot of people, a lot of Republicans in Congress believe that because they signed on to his campaign and said, yeah, we're with you. Now, maybe they're rethinking because he actually cut a deal with the Democrats in order to get past this uh, difficult three-month period that we're going to be having uh, in Congress, why only three months? That's a great question because uh, three months is not a long time and the deal that he made makes them redo it all again in December, which is mystifying because
1: that's the worst possible time, I think. that Let's set the scene for how this deal went down. There's a, a rare White House meeting with uh, President Trump and the big shots – from Congress, uh, right? The Democratic House, and Republican leaders of both chambers sit down with the president. The four head honchos with the head of the executive branch—big uh, time stuff. Now, people thought this would be sort of a uh, a formality. They didn't really agree on what to do, and we're talking about whether they would fund the government, raise the debt ceiling, which is you know basically like a government shutdown sort of thing, and also provide billions of dollars to help with the hurricanes that are uh, ruining everything. So, Republicans, they're in charge of the government. They didn't want to have to right. have a government shutdown. Correct. And they didn't want to have to do this again in the near future. Even more correct. S- right. So, they didn't get what they wanted. They wanted, they wanted like a, an 18-month deal. Correct. Correct. Get them past the election of, of, of 2018. And the reporting about this says that Paul Ryan and Mitch McConnell are like, well, here's what we want. Mm-hmm. And the president in this meeting is like, no, nah, I don't want that. <laughs> well, let's just back up here. A sec. The uh, Debt ceiling
2: is a, is a strange construct, which doesn't need to be there at all. Remember, I mean, the United States borrows money all the time to pay for things that uh, it doesn't raise enough taxes to do. This happens on a daily basis when we sell bonds and we send, uh, we sell notes, et cetera. There is a thing, though, called the debt limit that's in statute, which says the government shall not have any more than this amount of money. We cannot be any more in debt than this amount at any given time. Well, we always raise it because we're always borrowing more money, and that gives the party out of power in Congress kind of like a, a little negotiating chip because – Usually, you're going to need some votes from the other party in order to pass this because it's not a popular vote. You voted to raise the debt. Well, they didn't really. I mean, you vote to raise the debt anytime you pass a spending bill. It
1: just allows the government to continue dealing with appropriations they already voted for before. Absolutely. And and that's the exact argument you hear from a president. Every president
2: says, let's get rid of this. This is stupid. And when Barack Obama was president – that's what he wanted, and Republicans in Congress said, "Oh no, no, no! We want budget cuts uh, of the exact amount we're going to raise the debt." Well, now there's no logic to that
1: whatsoever. But so that's what they claim. Republicans they wanted, wanted this yeah. off the table for a long time because it gives Democrats leverage because they'll say, "We'll withhold votes for that unless you do something nice." Exactly. For
2: us. So the f- it's the fewer number of times you have to do that when you're in control of Congress, the better. And maybe the president. Didn't understand that, or maybe he was just uh,
1: angry at Mitch McConnell and Paul Ryan for well, pause for a moment. We're we're just gliding past the fact that Democrats now toy with the debt ceiling <laughs> right. for eight right. years. They did not, but anyway, right, right, right.
2: Uh, yeah. Uh, the Democrats wanted a three month extension, or at least that was their opening negotiating gambit. Was oh, will give you three months, um, and we'll work it out with the rest of the you know the the budget to keep the the government running through into next year, et cetera. And they probably didn't expect to get three months. But, you know, what the heck? That was their position. That was their starting position. And the president said, sure, let's do three months, which baffled the the Republicans in the room. Um, And I'm not counting the president as one, although he technically did win as a Republican. And that, I think, is the core of the Republicans' problem. They nominated a guy who wasn't really of their party. He really doesn't believe in the stuff that the Republicans said they believed in. So here they are.
1: So Uh, this was another – I mean, this seem to happen every week, but yet another watershed moment in the Trump presidency, where he very openly and right to their faces Correct. defied his own party and struck a deal with Democrats. And some you know, some Republicans in Congress are pretty pissed about this. <laughs> uh, yes, as I uh, said, if we, if, you know, like the the super conservative House Freedom Caucus had imagined, they could use the debt ceiling as a thing to get something they like. Right. Like budget cuts.
2: Exactly. Right. So, you know, this, um, this changes a lot because uh, it empowers the Democrats and it empowers them not just on this issue, mind. I mean this now means that they think that the president can be rolled on DACA, you know, the the program that lets uh, the children of uh, of people who came into this country illegally who were born in another country but came here as children – To stay. President Obama started that. Uh, President Trump now wants to get rid of it, but says he wants to do something for the kids already here. Democrats now have a way of saying, look, you know, um, we can work with you on something else. Maybe you can give us this. It works for infrastructure. It may even work for tax cuts. And maybe the Dems might be able to get something in exchange for
1: their block of votes so that they don't need the people in the Freedom Caucus. So uh, the the rest of the year is thought to be crucial for the Republican agenda because they wanted to do tax reform. How does the, the debt ceiling deal affect their chances of achieving that?
2: Right. What it does, it takes the deck of cards and throws them randomly up into the air. (laughs) <laughs> no idea how they're going to land, or I mean, I mean, it was it was kind of crazy to think they're going to get tax reform, reform in the big picture sense
1: of you know actually looking at things in a careful way. Assuming right. that they have like a tax thing that they can do as a party,
2: yeah, they're uh, going to do tax cuts. I mean, they'll do tax cuts and they'll pass that. One sure, day. sure. So
1: yeah. assuming that they agree and they have some kind of plan, which I I don't really assume, but just for the sake of this conversation, <laughs> what did the how did the debt ceiling deal change that? And and I guess you think. It's not clear how.
2: It, it's, it's not clear how, but I do think that passing a tax cut is an easy thing to do, particularly if you can structure it so that you only need votes from your own party, which the Republicans can do if they do it under you know the trick of reconciliation in the Senate. Um, they can only last 10 years, but you know George W. Bush did it, and you got a decade's worth of tax cuts out of it. I'm sure they can do it again now.
1: Some of the punditry is Trump has pivoted to Democrats. Do you think he's going to remain in that position?
2: No, not at all. I mean, it's been a mistake to think of Trump as a Democrat or a Republican or anything for that matter. His entire life has been about himself, perhaps his children. And that's it. Look at the promises he's made, the contracts he's signed, the agreements he's made over the last 40 years – and he's basically reneged on every single one of them. And so why did the Republicans think that somehow he was going to be loyal to them? That's-
1: that was foolish. How could they have known? How how could they have <laughs> known that he'd be an unreliable partner? But I guess the thinking is, well, he's just had this hurricane news cycle in which he seems to have thought that he did well. And we know this because of the constant stream of leaks coming from his closest friends who say, you know, Trump is like having fun going down to the flood ravaged areas and like putting boxes of things in a pickup truck <laughs> and the news <laughs> which meet- he was
2: told to do by the way because the first time he went he did none of that he didn't actually want to touch any right, well,
1: so that. he went back a second yeah. time and he put the box after in the- pence
2: showed him how right right,
1: right. and and, and uh, you know his mood turns on what the media says the media's like, well look trump's, exactly. trump's not screwing this up <laughs> They've got a a decent guy running FEMA who you know everyone is. They're not having thanks Obama right right yeah. Well, he's like an acting director, but he's doing a good job, and he's no he's
2: he's, he's, the new one's a full director. But but to the point here is that this is the deep state. This is the the entrenched bureaucracy doing a good job with this hurricane.
1: Okay, so Trump comes off this pivots to Democrats Mm -hmm. on this deal and on DACA, in which he is saying you know after having said he'll get rid of DACA, said all these things to to suggest otherwise which is pleasing to to uh, Democrats and people who don't want to see the Dreamers deported. So he gets more press attention saying, wow, look at Trump. Look at Trump pivoting, stunning. <laughs> that's the kind of thing that is written in political stories. And it, he it reads is. those. Yeah. So could this become a self-reinforcing thing? Maybe. Who knows?
2: I mean, you know, I'm not going to try to predict what goes on in his mind. I, it, that's pointless, I think. i l- he will do whatever's expedient at that moment. He will try to please whoever's in the room with him at that moment.
1: Well, it also coincides with the the recent departure of Steve Bannon, who is right. the the guy who just loves owning libs. <laughs> like yeah. we really owned democrats with that thing we did that, you know, got bottled up in a court immediately and will have no positive effect for our policy goal.
2: Right. Well, we're having now a White House that is much more controlled. Uh, fewer people just wander into the Oval Office and, you know, put something on his desk that in, gets them mad. They're not allowed to do that anymore because uh, John Kelly is now taking charge of basically the uh, uh, access to the Oval Office, the access to the president. So it, it is a little bit more predictable, but fundamentally it's still Donald Trump who has shown that he really doesn't have any True core beliefs
1: in anything, and so we're gonna be surprised we're gonna be surprised every week and he changes policy based on mood it seems you know based on who he's mad at who he wants to to spite and right now we are also in a uh, a news cycle about what an infant he is <laughs> about how things are kept from him right, by John right. Kelly yeah about how he's a tool of uh, Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi right. about how Mark Meadows, the head of the Freedom Caucus, believes that because Trump doesn't even understand the debt ceiling, mm-hmm. that this is really about Paul Ryan being a cuck. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So he could this could this seemingly positive right. news cycle could then backfire and make Trump mad.
2: It 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 could. But now, as to treating Trump as an infant and keeping things from him and making him happy and saying nice things to him. And this has been going on since he got the nomination. I mean, this is something that the RNC had to do. You couldn't just tell him, don't do this. You had to give him five things of praise first.
1: You so, disagree that this is uh, there's an, a crescendo of baby Trump news?
2: No, there's no crescendo. This is, oh, okay. the, this is the same amount of baby Trump news as there has been since the RNC went up there and said, oh what? my God, what have we done? There's going to be
1: an, another hurricane this weekend in Florida, and these right. hurricanes clearly put him in a good mood. Because you see his, <laughs> not because he's happy about devastation yeah. specifically, but he's like, wow, this is the biggest hurricane ever. It's the same thing he said about Harvey. Irma is even bigger, and he sends these tweets just marveling at it.
2: Yeah. And the danger is something's going to go horribly wrong, and then, and then the blame will go everywhere, and he won't be able to avoid it. So, you know, it's, it's risky. Yeah to bank everything you have on your ability to deal with hurricanes since in the end there's no dealing with a storm like this. It's it's basically what it happens to hit and, and what happens to go wrong, which you cannot control.
1: All right, SV Date, thank you so much for joining us to talk about it's my pleasure. this week in Trump's America. And we're back. This is Arthur Delaney, and I'm joined in studio by my colleagues, Elise Foley. Hello. And Igor Babic. Yo, yo. We're going to talk about something that happened this week because things that happened are what this podcast is all about. Elise, uh, Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals is the name of a policy that the Obama administration implemented to, to not deport people who were brought here illegally by their parents. Uh, be, the thinking being that, well, they were children, it's not their fault, and if they're going to American high schools and contributing to society, why would we treat them like crap and throw them out? So, President Trump came out this week and said he was going to get rid of it. Or did he? What happened? It's been like <laughs> really confusing, and like the, the meaning and content of the policy seems to be changing every day since Trump first made this announcement on Tuesday.
4: Yeah, it it is very confusing and complicated. So he promised all throughout the campaign that he was going to end this program and DACA because he said it was unconstitutional, never should have been created, was amnesty. He finally followed through this week, uh, but interestingly sent out his attorney general, Jeff Sessions, who hates DACA, I feel that's not too strong to say, out to announce it. And he did it in a way that has kind of allowed him to... Claim that he still cares about these people and feels compassion for them, Uh, people won't start seeing their DACA permits, which also allow you to work, expire for six months. And so he said, okay, this gives the uh, Congress six months to pass a bill. Um, And then since then has said, you know, I I love these dreamers and, you know, I want Congress to do something – and has even indicated that he will work with Democrats on something like that. Uh, Nancy Pelosi, who's the House um, minority leader, said that um, he told her that he would support the DREAM Act, which is a bill to give these people legal status. And that's so, why they're
1: called DREAMers. Exactly.
4: And so there's uh, you know potential now for some sort of congressional action. And I think Trump is trying to both take credit for the fact that he did away with this terrible unconstitutional thing. And that he is a nice guy who cares about people.
3: This is the day that Donald Trump became president.
4: <laughs> <laughs> really it is kind of amazing that he's trying to, you know, be like, I'm a super compassionate guy. By the way we will deport you if we come across you in six months, potentially. So
1: people immediately, when it came out that he would use Jeff Sessions for this announcement, said, well, that's you know that says a whole lot, that he's distancing himself from this policy. So was it his plan from the outset to have Jeff Sessions say, we're ending DACA, and then he would, over the next several days, repeatedly undermine Jeff Sessions? It seems like maybe that was his plan all along.
4: Yeah, it seems like that uh, is, that's possible. I do think that um, just because Trump is saying all these things about uh, his compassion, we shouldn't undersell the fact that they they are ending the program. There are steps that they've taken immediately. It doesn't all just start in six months. Um, it, people who have not applied and uh, have never had DACA are now unable to do so. That's a big deal. There are people who won't be able to apply for renewal that's a big deal. Uh, there's a limited time period where even if you are eligible to apply for renewal under this new policy, um, there are people who won't who won't make the deadline. And so it doesn't it's uh, it's I don't think that Trump um, should be able to get off scot free for just because he's said some things after. I mean, whether he made Sessions to it or not. Ultimately, the t- decision came from Trump.
3: And I and I think that it's important to remember also that whatever this president says, there's a high high chance of it being completely false. Um, whatever he tweets, uh, you know, as evidenced by the the wiretap that he, <laughs> President Obama placed on his uh, <laughs> on his office that came, was totally false. Um, you know, I spoke to John McCain this week about um, Trump's new willingness to. Um, embrace a, a kind of a legislative fix. He was like, "Yeah, that sounds great, but let's see. Let's see what he says tomorrow." Which is like very, you know, representative of of Trump, who he is. He can say one thing, he can meet another. So what-
4: and I think it's it's notable that in Trump's statement announcing the end of. Uh, of DACA, which you know these those things are maybe not <laughs> written by Trump himself, uh, so it's more likely to Th- maybe be a little different from things he would a, say. A
1: Trump statement an that official, was attributed to him, but was separate from what Jeff Sessions exactly.
4: Said. An official White House statement um, went out, written after Jeff Sessions spoke, um, but it specifically talked about the need to protect Americans first, the need to protect American jobs. And once you're getting into things like that, you're also getting into arguments against giving legal status to DREAMers. So Jeff Sessions said something about that as well in his remarks, and he said that uh, these people are taking jobs from Americans, basically. And so if that's an argument against DACA, that's also an argument against the DREAM Act and kind of indicates that there will at least be some level of a tug of war over whether they're willing to do something like this without also cutting legal immigration levels in some way, which is just a non-starter with a lot of people.
1: One thing that has been very confusing about the whole episode is the Republican response. Because when President Obama announced that they would do this policy you know, unilaterally without the help of Congress, many Republicans were like, no, you can't. That's uh, an abuse of executive authority. And they even – Sued over this? Am I right?
4: Yeah, they tried to stop it over and over, and they supported the states that sued and successfully uh, blocked the other deferred action. So people.
1: some some Republicans, in response to Trump, said, "No, we got to keep DACA. We can't deport these people." Uh, was that inconsistent, or is this just different Republicans talking at the two different times?
4: Uh, it's somewhat um, different ones. I think I think there is a case to be made for I. You know, it was bad that Obama did this, but it would be really disruptive to end it. So I don't support ending it without replacing it. I I can understand uh, that viewpoint. It is a little bit funny because you had people like the House Speaker Paul Ryan saying last week that he did not think that Trump should end it. And then he said this week he thinks Trump did the right thing by ending it. So it's like, okay, you're just saying, (laughs) okay, what do you what do you actually think, dude?
1: So part of this is like a ploy to get Congress to do legislation?
4: I mean, in theory, but I think that also part of it is just a follow through on a campaign promise that Trump made. I don't think when Trump made that campaign promise, it was out of some sort of desire to uh, set something in motion that would end up with passing a bill to give legal status to undocumented immigrants, I think.
1: So all this stuff he's saying about –
4: It could lead to that, but –
1: yeah, we're, he's saying, in other words, that we're going to give Congress six months to sort this out is, is just another example of him attempting to have it both ways with his rhetoric.
4: Yeah, and I mean, maybe he does want them to do it. I think one thing that's uh, also important here is that John Kelly, who's the White House chief of staff, was he was formerly the head of DHS, which administers the program and all of that, and has said over and over when he was getting criticized uh, at DHS that if Congress wants things to be different, Congress should pass something, and that he personally supported some, doing something about Dreamers. So, uh, I think that you know probably he has Trump has Kelly in his ear saying this is a good idea. Let's try and get Congress to do something.
3: Yeah, and I, I think uh, wh- whoever whoever gets the last word in might gain an advantage over Trump, just because we've seen it over and over again that. Whoever uh, who speaks to him last, he will go with. He he tends to agree with whoever he hears from last. So
1: his machinations with the you know will i seem a different way. Don't necessarily reflect the strategy. It no, could just be that I don't. He think doesn't there's no strategy. There's no strategy. <laughs> well, it seems like there are, there's you could say that there's something strategic about what he's doing with trying to seem like he's not heartless.
3: I think this is the. Um, this is the ultimate question now for however months he's been office. Is people think he's sometimes playing three dimensional chess? Uh,
1: I <laughs> never people. think he is, but I guess that's what I'm saying right yeah. now. Yeah, yeah, right.
3: Hmm.
1: <laughs> now on Thursday, he tweeted that DACA re- recipients—do you call them DACA yeah, beneficiaries? DACA uh, you know, don't worry, we're not going to come deport you during this next six months. You'll be fine. Why did he tweet that?
3: Why did he tweet anything that he tweets? I I don't know whether there was a no. There is a hilarious reason. reason. Oh, there is a reason. Yeah,
4: Yeah. because you need to read (laughs) HuffingtonPost.com this morning.
1: According to Elise Fuller's Foley's reporting, Nancy Pelosi called him up and asked him to tweet it. Well,
4: he called her. (laughs) That they were on the phone, and she asked him to do so. You know, say something to reassure DACA recipients that they weren't going to you know start trying to deport them in the next 6 months which which aligns with what the policy is uh, like i said before people are not going to start losing their permits for this next 6 months right. so they you know everything should be the same as before in terms of their likelihood of getting deported but i think a lot of people are afraid so it makes sense why pelosi asked him to say that at the same time um it's like no great reassurance from trump that they're going to do kind of what they said as long as the six months after that, the six years it, after that, they're still back at deportation. I, I guess I
1: bring it up because to me it is deeply strange and amazing that Nancy Pelosi is like mm-hmm. pulling Trump's Twitter buttons. She's still got the Trump's juice.
3: She's still got the juice, man.
1: I, th- right now, it seems like Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer do have a lot of juice. Yeah, like, it's
3: it's bizarre. Uh, and. You can't even imagine what this must be like for Republicans on the Hill who, who are angry and furious at the president for um, selling them out.
1: How, how could they have known that Donald Trump would be this unreliable?
3: Oh, there's just – you know <laughs> nobody tried to warn them. Uh, I think that was probably – might have been the case.
1: He ran as a
4: Republican. Very <laughs> ideologically consistent, that man, over his life.
3: All right, uh, he, he he contributed to Pelosi many times and uh, wrote a nice letter to her, calling her a fantastic one. If
1: there, if Republicans had known that that had happened, I'm sure none of this would be happening. No, because he wouldn't not. have become the Republican nominee. Absolutely.
3: That is sarcasm, by the way. We just want to
1: don't tell people it's sarcasm. <laughs> then it's just uh, now. All right, we got to get out of here. I'm sorry. Uh, bye, everybody. Elise Foley, <laughs> Igor Babic, thank you so much for coming in and talking DACA.
4: Was that sarcasm? Also?
1: No. we're back. This is Arthur Delaney. I've got Igor Babak and Elise Foley. You may remember them from 60 seconds ago when we talked about DACA. We're going to talk about something else this time. Bob yes. Menendez, a sitting Democratic Senator, is on trial for corruption. It's kind of a huge deal, except there are two hurricanes in an amazingly corrupt and incompetent uh, Republican administration. And it's it seems like this Incredibly sorted corruption trial is being drowned out, Igor.
3: It is. It's totally going under the radar, and uh, Republicans are, are screaming about it, hoping to um, you know cause up some some trouble for Democrats. And it's uh, it's proving very hard, um, at least for the moment, given all the all the uh, news about the hurricanes and, and and the damage in Texas. But um, yeah, that's right. The trial kicked off um, this week in uh, Newark, New Jersey. And you've got federal prosecutors alleging some pretty serious stuff against Menendez—corruption, um, bribery—that um, he—that uh, he had a basically a corrupt pact with one of his wealthy donors and longtime friends named uh, Solomon Melgen. He's a—he's a eye doctor in West Palm Beach, Florida. And uh, the allegations are, you know, they're—they're they're pretty extreme. Um, federal prosecutors say that that Menendez helped. Um, melgan out with some personal as well as well professional problems (laughs) apparently this melgan guy had uh three or four girlfriends uh outside of the states who he wanted to get in the states to visit him so menendez allegedly helped speed up their visa applications to to get his buddies uh Okay, girlfriends in the country. I
1: have to catch my breath. Yeah, I yeah, I know. I'm, I'm blushing. Know. Uh, you know, <laughs> campaign donors and political favors are usually a lot more boring than that. It's like right. this senator voted this way this number of times, and he has a higher percentage of donations from the sector. You know, uh, regulated under this bill. Right, but no, this is. Uh, Getting women into the country. <laughs> yeah, you get
3: women in and it's a different picture.
1: So that it sounds like it's more corrupt than your usual corruption story. I, I would
3: say so. I, allegedly, we, we don't know yet. Uh, he hasn't been found guilty and he's denying all of this, by the way, uh, him and Melgan. Um, uh, there's also stories about, uh, you know, Amanda's taking campaign cash, taking luxurious trips abroad to Paris, like asking – Ah,
1: oh, come uh, on! Although with the luxurious trips, that now yeah, there, all right. everybody that's, takes. Them. That's yeah. what they all do. <laughs> luxurious trips, please.
3: <laughs> that's right. So, um, you know, Democrats this week in the Senate, at least Menendez's colleagues, are really don't want to talk about you, any. You of went this. down
1: there to go bug them.
3: I did, and and they really, really would just like to avoid all of this. Surprise, surprise.
1: Uh, you, well, you talked to the junior senator from New Jersey, Cory Booker.
3: Cory Booker, potential twenty twenty candidate is going to bat for his uh, his senior senator, He's calling him a champion. He's the best for New Jersey. He's innocent until proven guilty. Um, so uh, we'll see what happens.
4: So in the event that he does get convicted, that creates a whole mess in terms of whether he <laughs> stays as a senator for any amount of time right. or uh, what happens if he does step down or if he does go to prison or or something, can you kind of explain what the yeah. issues are there
3: so it's no sure bet that he's he would step down, and it's no sure bet the Democrats would force him to step down. I think everybody's sort of waiting to see how the trial ends up there's There's a good chance of him being uh convicted on some charge i don't I don't know you know whether it's going to be all of them. Uh, Menendez's term runs through 2019, so it would be you know a pivotal vote that Democrats would need. Uh, of course, you've got Chris Christie, who's leaving office in January. Uh, who, if, so if Menendez stepped down,
1: right. like right now, Chris yeah. Christie would appoint someone. Exactly,
3: yeah. That's why I, I don't think— A Republican. Should, right, right. Yes, exactly. So
1: for people who don't want to lose— their elected office they stepping down is stupid exactly i think (laughs) i think that's the number one rule that did chris christie step down after his office oversaw a traffic jam
3: (laughs) yeah well christie didn't go on trial
1: right but it i mean come on (laughs) it's like in no way did i have any idea that all these people who worked for me (laughs) engineered this massive retributive traffic jam
3: and and look i think even if he, he is found guilty uh this thing is likely to be tied up in appeals. They're going to appeal, um, and beyond that, there are issues of uh, constitutionality. Whether you know, uh, you can put a, a member of Congress to, on trial for these these allegations. Um, another factor is Bob McDonnell, former Virginia governor, uh, was convicted on some of these uh, charges, and his conviction got tossed out by the Supreme Court last year, uh, giving a
1: precedent. For uh, Menendez, possibly to skirt some of these allegations. So the the Bob McDonnell trial was good, too, in terms of uh, you know above average, apparently corrupt behavior. Because right. he was like, he got a fancy watch yeah. and a sports car. Still didn't stick. Still didn't stick. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, Igor Bobic, uh, thank you so much for bringing this to our attention. I think it's uh, important to know that it's going on because it's easy to miss. Sure thing. Elise Foley, thanks to you, too. <laughs>
4: thanks for having me.
1: We'll be right back. So that's What Happened This Week. This podcast was produced, edited, and engineered by Zach Young. Our executive producer is Nick Offenberg. I'm Arthur Delaney, and this week we were joined by our HuffPost colleagues, S.V. Date, Elise Foley, and Igor Bobbitt. So That Happened is available on iTunes at iTunes.com/slash so that happened. Check out the whole family of HuffPost podcasts in the iTunes Store. And while you're there, subscribe and tell your friends. If there's something you want to hear us talk about, send an email to so that happened at huffpost.com. Don't be shy, I will personally respond. Bye.